All right, good morning. Um, we're just, uh, I think, just kind of jump right back in here this morning and forget all the backdrop and backstory and that. Everybody that's here now was here last Sunday morning, so I uh, want to continue our look at the, uh, the golden candlestick, the golden lampstand as it's here. I mean, the, the English word in our Bible, candlestick, literally means a lampstand, not necessarily, at least if you're like me, what you picture as a candlestick, but uh, it was more a piece of furniture that a, a lamp was put on. Uh, in this case, the furniture itself contained the lamps were integrated into it, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, uh, for instance, in, in other places, that's not the case. Let me just give you one example. Remember uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus calls his disciples the light of the world. Now, he's the light of the world, but he says that his people are light here in this world, right? But then he, And then he uses the analogy, no man lights a candle, puts it under, now candle there is not again like a candle, a wax candle, but a lamp. No man lights a lamp and then puts it under a bushel or you don't, you don't hide it, right? You don't light it and then put it under something to cover it up. You light it and then he says what? You put it on a candlestick or a lamp stand, the piece that holds it so it would, like if this was a house in that day, there were, the lamp stand would have been something that you doesn't mean you couldn't move it, but it would have been more of a something you left in place, and then if you needed, you could take the lamp in somewhere else, but it was like the place where the lamp would sit on to give light for an extended period of time in, in that location, in that house. But anyway, just uh, uh, again, using that analogy to, to demonstrate that. But we were talking about the golden candlestick, all right? And uh, I guess we better have a word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of just jump right back in here. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for, uh, again, all the pictures in your word. Uh, obviously, there's, we can't fully appreciate them, I'm sure, but we thank you uh, for how you've communicated your truth and truth uh, about you and really about us and how we can have a relationship with you uh, in and through your word. We, we, we thank you for that. Help us now as we look at this particular aspect, this particular subject in your word. And uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we read, and again, I think for time's sake, we're gonna, not going to read some of the longer passages of scripture like we read last week. Um, uh, in, in just kind of introducing the, the golden candlestick. Obviously, it was a piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Now, this is somebody's rendering, okay? This doesn't mean this is exactly how everything looked. This is a, uh, a disc that I've, I had, I've had for years that has like a hundred and some slides on it that shows all these different things. And it's, it's, the purpose is to use it to teach about the, the tabernacle. And if you remember Solomon's temple, okay, replaced the tabernacle and then Solomon's temple was destroyed, then the, the, the temple that was built in uh, post-exile, uh, actually like Zerubbabel and Joshua, they are the ones, the two leaders, civic and spiritual leader that, uh, built the second temple, which that temple existed into the days that Jesus was here on the earth. That was the temple that he actually walked into. Uh, oftentimes it was referred to then as Herod's temple because Herod the Great had spent 46 years uh, embellishing and, you know, kind of beautifying that temple. 
uh, and so on. So sometimes it's called Herod's temple. I mean, he didn't build it. He did put more facades and things of that sort on it. But those temples were just basically an enlarged version of the tabernacle and obviously a permanent building. The tabernacle was, was uh, made to be able to, to take down, put up, take down, put up as the Israelites journeyed, remember? Uh, so it was, it was obviously needed to be portable. Um, and then once they got into the promised land, you know, after Joshua's days and so on, the, temp, the, the tabernacle was, it seems, permanently set up in a, play, in a town called Shiloh, and there it seems it stood for hundreds of years. Um, and then in David's day, when David became king, he moved the, uh, not the whole tabernacle it seems, but he moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, to a special place that he devoted for that. And, uh, and then, of course, when Solomon's temple was, was built, then all that was changed and moved to there. So, but, but the same layout was used, all right? Again, the, in the temple, the, the courtyard, the area around. Now, I don't have a laser pointer, so I'm going to try to use my mouse if I can find it. Anyway, right there we are. All right, this is, you know, the, the fence, if you want to say, the curtains of the, of the tabernacle yard, this would have been called the court of the tabernacle. And everything here pictures something about God. It pictures really about how God has uh, made a way that man can approach him, that man can have a relationship with him. Everything here pictures the Lord Jesus Christ in some way or another. But I, I also believe that, that there's far more to it than that as well. And, and like we were looking at the candlestick. Obviously, there's the candlestick represents Christ in, in some fashion, but yet I think it goes beyond that as well, and that's what we're talking about with it. But uh, you had the gate, of course, and then the first thing that would have been encountered. Now, now keep in mind that really only the priests were in here, all right? People brought uh, offerings and so on, but it seems to me that they couldn't go any farther than here. But they brought it here, the priests would then take the offering and offer it for them on the brazen altar. I don't know if everybody can see that, and you're, I'm sure you're familiar enough with this, but uh, the brazen altar, not a golden altar. Remember, everything, the furniture outside was bronze, or uh, brazen is the word used in our KJV, bronze, or it's not brass, it's brass, and as I understand, bronze is a brass and copper alloy, uh, but uh, it's brazen, all right? So it's, it's a little bit different color than brass, but, and, and I think there's a, a purpose in those being uh, an alloy, a mixture of metals, because they picture what the Lord, you know, the Lord Jesus and his dual nature, his deity and humanity. Everything inside the tabernacle proper was made of gold or some of it was made of wood and covered with gold, but it was all gold is what you saw, okay? Uh, and, and except for, I think, the, the uh, mercy seat was nothing but gold. There was no wood in the mercy seat itself. It was solid gold, all right? Uh, but all of this pictures Christ. Christ is the gate. He's the only way in, all right? He's the one that atoned for sin, which is, uh, again, I can't get my pointer to stop, right? But he's at the brazen altar. That's where sin was, you know, uh, the sacrifice for sin. Sin offerings and so on were brought there. The labor, of course, the washing, the purification. 
and then in the presence of God in the, in the holy place. And there was a table of showbread that, that pictures a lot of things, again, in Christ, but even fellowship, the priests would eat of that, and that was a sign of their fellowship with God. Um, and the candlestick, of course, is in there. And as I mentioned last week when I tried to show you a diagram, uh, one thing I don't like about these slides, it seems to me they're all backwards, they should, because the gate of the tabernacle was always pointing east. And uh, the tabernacle was always erected in a certain way, in other words, directional. And those directions were important, all right? But uh, when you went into the tabernacle itself proper here, this priest would have to go through this wall of curtains here, and then there was the, the lampstand, the, the candlestick on the left, the table of showbread, which the bread was replaced every week. Twelve loaves of bread were on there to represent the twelve tribes and so on, and then once a year, and well, and then the altar, of, it's hard to see, I don't know if, it, if you all can see it there, but there was a small, in fact, it's basically, I think the dimensions were one cubit by one cubit square, so like an 18-inch square, but probably uh, three, uh, I forget now the height of it, but uh, uh, it was a golden altar that incense was burned on, all right, and at. And then um, that's, and of course, the, for the incense burning, there were, I can't talk, specific instructions given by God on what that mixture was to be. Uh, and again, the, the things that are involved in that, they all picture Christ and just, I mean, there's just so many things here, all right, in that. But, uh, but, and that's before the Holy of Holies or the holiest place, all right? And uh, the priest would have to go behind that veil once a year, the high priest, I should say, and he was the only one allowed. All right, and this is supposed to be a depiction of him with his garments and uh, the ephod and then the breastplate with his 12 stones and all this stuff, right? So this is, a, again, this is somebody's rendering, drawing of, of uh, what that obviously uh, may not be exactly what it looked like, but at least some, some renderings of what that looked like. Now, I can't, I got to look at this to see this, all right? Uh, so in the holy place of... This is just more of a, a diagram of it. Uh, and again, it should be flipped as far as the, the direction. But uh, the holy place here where the candlestick stood. All right, so let me, let me put that to rest and get back to here. All right, so we, we, we see this golden candlestick of the tabernacle. And again, I'm not going to go through everything on here. We looked up and we read passages that described it. And... Um, uh, the, 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 the plans for it and so on. And it's, it's important to note that it was all to be, it was, it was a, a talent of gold, a piece of gold, one piece of gold, a talent, roughly 125 pounds is the best estimates on that. So 125 pound piece of gold, that's a sizable piece of gold, because gold itself is not real heavy. So a sizable piece of gold that everything on all those descriptions with the, the seven branches or the six, one, one main shaft, six branches off of it, and it had knops or, and I can't get what you said out of my mind all week, every time I say that word now, uh, but it had the knops, which are basically some kind of knob or protrusion on it. It had flowers, and then each, each branch had a bowl that held the, the, oil that was the fuel, all right, for the lamps to be burning. Obviously, there would have been some kind of wick on, on that to be able to actually have the, the light without, 
you know, so it would, it would use the oil in a, in a, in a progressed way and so on, but uh, it, was, it was made out of one piece, and that's important, all right? Uh, one piece of gold, but seven lamps on it, and for some reason I can't keep from hitting that. Uh, so seven lamps on one lampstand, one piece of furniture there, and it was gold again. So this, there's there's significance in all of that. We we pictured some of that, and and the tabernacle itself. And there's my good drawing of it. But uh, and then I, I like this quote here, and this this kind of goes along with what we were just saying. But I I have a book called The Tabernacle Priesthood and Offerings. Um, but the writer of that book, he makes this in the, in the very first statement in the preface of his book. He says, a volume on this subject, he names it there, is not new. Others have digged and digged deeply in these in exhaust, <laughs> I can't talk, exhaustless mines. In other words, you know what? You could spend your life studying this and you'll never dig, at, you know, be able to mine everything that's there. It's just, it's, it's like infinite because of what it represents, the Lord <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord Jesus, God himself, and so on. And then, uh, again, we talked about some of the information of that. Now, and, and certainly we can't, we can't get away from saying that the candlestick itself, because everything in the tabernacle has a picture of Christ, okay? The, tabern uh, the, the candlestick itself represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a number of things, more than just the little bit we have here. There's a number of ways, I'm sure, that that can be looked at and seen. However, I believe that it does go beyond that, and, and one of the uh, significances of the candlestick, it seems to picture the Holy Spirit, and that's what we kind of just we kind of just got started into that part last week. So let's do this. Let's go back. We, we had read some passages, and let's go back to Isaiah chapter 11, which was, I think, the first passage that we read after uh, this, the descriptions in, in the law there in, the, in Exodus and so on. But in Isaiah chapter 11, we have an interesting picture given for us here. Now, this passage of Scripture, this passage of Scripture is um, a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, okay? But there, there's some, obviously, some, some significant things here. The whole chapter, chapter 11, the, the over, overarching emphasis of chapter 11 certainly is the Messiah and his messianic reign, all right? But the first part of it gives some details about Messiah that are important and they pertain to what we're, we're looking at here, all right? So verse uh, 1, chapter 11 of Isaiah, and there shall come forth a rod. The, the idea of a rod, again, is not necessarily like a, something like the rod of Moses that was something that was separate and, you know, uh, fashioned to be used as a tool. But this is just talking about a branch or a shoot out of the stem. And the stem here, the word stem, it's the idea of a stump. All right, uh, of Jesse. Now, who was Jesse in the Bible? David's father, all right? And, and it's important here that, uh, that Isaiah is using Jesse and not David here, all right? Obviously, the Messiah is the son of David. That's, that's Bible, but he's also, in that sense, the son of Jesse as well, 
son of, of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of, I mean, you know, uh, son of Judah, all right? But uh, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And now let me just stop for a second. All right, so one of the things this tells us about Messiah here is that he's going to come, and he's referred to here as the branch. You'll notice in your Bible the word branch is capitalized, all right? because it's referring uh, to deity, it's referring to the Messiah here. But this branch is going to grow out of the stem, or the stump, when the roots of who here? It says Jesse, all right? Now, it could have said David and be true, all right? But I believe that the emphasis here with using Jesse instead of David is, when you think of David, what do you think of? He's the king, all right? And even think of this, though, in the day that Isaiah wrote this, all right, this was some 700, 750 years before the Lord Jesus actually was here on the earth. But in that time, the, the house of David was still the rulers of Judah. All right, it was still intact. It was still, uh, I mean, Ahaz likely was king at this time, which who he was a wicked king and all that. But, but the house of David was still intact. They were still ruling and they still were wealthy, if you want to say, at that point. Now, uh, so he says, a stump out of Jesse, referring to that house, that lineage, back to the time of Jesse. When you would have said the house of Jesse in that day, ah, he was, he was a member of the tribe of Judah, you know, in that family. But there was nothing really special about Jesse. As far as, I mean, he was a good man, I'm sure, and probably a, a righteous, honest man and so on. But he wasn't wealthy. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't significant in that sense. And so in using him instead of David, who became wealthy and prominent and so on, this is referring back to the fact that Messiah is going to come and he's going to specifically be born at a time when the house of David, Jesse, is not in its prominence and not in its wealthy state. All right, when you think of that in the New Testament times, both, by the way, both uh, Joseph, so the Lord Jesus' adoptive father, if we can call him that, he wasn't obviously his real father, but he took him as a son, all right, the Bible says, and raised him. So his adoptive father and his mother, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary, both of them were of the house and lineage of David, but they were poor. I mean, uh, you can see that in the offerings that were brought after Jesus' birth, Mary's offering for purification. So, I mean, she brought the, the poor man's offering and not the, you know, the more wealthy person's offering. So, again, it speaks of the time when, when David's house was basically not very important. It was just, it was just one of the other families in, in Israel at that time. Um, now, he was of that lineage. But David's family hadn't been prominent and wealthy and ruling for centuries by that point. In fact, the rulers of the Jews were the chief priests, who uh, weren't, probably weren't of any, they weren't even really priests as far as from the tribe of, of uh, Levi. Uh, they were just political people that were in place. They, they were given that title. Um, uh, so there were, there were, you know, the Levitical priests still at that time. But the rulers, the prominent people, were the, the, the high priests, the Sadducees, and so on. And the Pharisees were the more strict, conservative uh, class of, the, of, uh, of, of Jews. But 
Again, this, this speaks to that. Messiah be born into the house of David, of course. He's Jesse's son, but he'd be born in a, in a state of lowliness, in a condition of lowliness, a house that had been cut down, right? And, but it wasn't dead, but it had been cut down. So its prominence wasn't there at that point, all right? And Messiah also, and the important why we're in this passage is the third point there. Messiah would have the sevenfold fullness of uh, the sevenfold fullness of the Holy Spirit and act accordingly. All right. So you see here, verse two, then, all right, verse one talks about him coming out of the stem of Jesse, but the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Let me just, uh, for right now, uh, because I want to get to some other passages here, just leave this at this. You'll see there are seven distinctions given here concerning the Spirit. Now, the first is the Spirit of the Lord, which in the Old Testament, that is a specific title that always refers to the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, the third person of the Trinity um, and, and the wording that's used there. But there's six other descriptions that are tagged on with that, and the way that it's all structured, they all go together, all right? So this is a sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit. Now, the term Holy Spirit is not used in the Old Testament. That's a New Testament term, but that's what we're familiar with, all right? In fact, in, in our KJV, the term Holy Ghost is the more typical term. And they use the word ghost, translated that way, instead of spirit for specific reasons, all right? Because automatically, when you think of Holy Ghost, you think of the third person of the Trinity. You're not thinking of some other thing, okay? Uh, but, but you have this sevenfold description here given of the Messiah. Now, the, the, the number seven is significant throughout the Bible, but particularly in the book of Revelation, and we're going to get there in just a second. Um, but it, it speaks, it's a number that's used of, of completeness, of, of, of fullness, of perfection even, all right? And so this description of the Holy Spirit, most agree that this is just talking about it. It's a way to describe the Holy Spirit that is used to, he's completely involved, all right? Now, we read the verse, somebody read it last week. I'm just going to refer to it here. In John chapter 3, in John the Baptist giving witness to the Lord Jesus, he mentions that God gave the Spirit without measure to the Lord Jesus. All right? That is never said of any other person. Only the Lord Jesus. All right? And obviously, he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So in one way, they are one. But as a man, and again, this is, this is I understand. I and mean, when you start thinking about this, it can hurt your head in reality. Because try, trying to, okay, you know, rationalize it all out and think about it. Again, it's one of those things that we've said before that, I mean, if we could fully understand everything about God, he wouldn't really be that great, would he? If we could understand everything. He's beyond us for sure, but he gives us descriptions. He gives us pictures to help us try to understand him, all right? But the Lord Jesus as a man. Now, again, this is, this is one of those head-scratching things, okay? But he lived his life here on, on this earth, not in deity, so to speak. He was still God, but he lived as a man. And that was important. That was essential for what he came to do. All right, he, as a man, as a man, he had the 
complete fullness of the Holy Spirit. No other man that's ever set up. Not of any other, you know, not of the Apostle Paul, not of Peter, not of John, not of anybody, only of the Lord Jesus. All right? And, and this, these two go together because Isaiah's prophesying that would happen. John the Baptist is saying this is him. He's the one with that spirit that Isaiah was prophesying about. All right? But again, it's significant because the spirit is described in Isaiah as what? A seven-fold spirit. Keep in, in, he's one spirit, but he's, he's given seven qualities here, seven descriptions. And some, some uh, go into you know, talking about these are really, if you, if you examine these descriptions here, uh, you can see that these are really the main attributes of the Holy Spirit or how he works in a person's life. All right? But uh, well, we're not take time to get into all that right now, all right? So when you think of this, we went to, I believe we read, but we really didn't get into uh, Revelation chapter 1. So let's go back there for a second. Revelation chapter 1, we see uh, in just kind of the John introducing his subject matter here. I'm going to, as you're turning, I'm going to begin reading in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. (laughs) Hi, Carly. She smiled at me. Anyway. All right, here the Bible says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. God, excuse me, there's an interesting channel that you see talked about here. The revelation which God gave to him, to Jesus Christ, to show unto his servants which things which must shortly come to pass. And he, Jesus, sent and signified it by his angel or his messenger unto his servant, John. John the apostle, the writer, the human writer of the book of Revelation. All right, who, John, bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now notice verse 4. This is kind of the, the formal salutation, John saying who he's writing to and so on here. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace, and those churches are named again down in verse 8, 9, and so on. He says, grace be unto you, that, and peace, all right? That's, that's kind of normal New Testament language in an epistle, right? You see that written, uh, grace and peace wished on the readers here. And then he says, from him, most of, for instance, Paul's epistles, he wishes grace and peace from the Lord Jesus. Sometimes he says, from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But notice the description that's given here. From him, which is, and which was, and which is to come. Now stop for a second. Who is that referring to? There's not a whole lot of possibilities here, okay? Could be specifically referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? I'm going to say, I believe it's referring to God the Father here, which is true. I mean, either one's true, okay, but I'll show you why. All right, he says, uh, peace, grace and peace from him which is, which was, and is to come, so someone who's eternal, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and we'll keep reading, and from Jesus Christ. So now Jesus is specifically separately delineated. So it seems to be a reference to God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, all right, so the Trinity. Now Jesus, notice how Jesus is described here. Now he goes on in describing Jesus far more detail. He says, and Jesus, who is the faithful witness 
and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And, now notice this, this is interesting, okay? Again, you have a reference to the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits that are before God's throne, right? Seven spirits before his throne. We'll see another reference to that in just a bit in Revelation a little later on, all right? And then he says, uh, so again, you can see it's tied back to Isaiah, all right? But I believe it also ties back to the tabernacle. Now notice, again, the description of Jesus, what he's done. He's washed us from our, he loved us. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now verse 6, and hath made us, what? Kings and, what's the second word there? Priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In the New Testament, all right, believers. Now, this wasn't true of Old Testament Israel. But of New Testament believers, one of the things that's true, there's a lot of things that are true. One of the things that's true of every New Testament believer is the fact that Christ has brought them into his priesthood. He's also brought us into his kingship. I mean, everybody's heard the song, I'm a child of the king, right? What does this verse say, though? It doesn't just say you're a child of the king. It says you are a king because he's made you a king. And the idea of this is he's sharing his rule with us. It's, it's not like he's given you your own separate dominion, but you're part of his kingdom, okay? And that's a spiritual kingdom, but it's also will be a physical kingdom. And by the way, part of the description of the millennial time is that New Testament believers, because Jesus said if he went away, John 14, he would come back, right? He would receive us unto himself that we're... He is, there we may be also. So once the rapture happens, believers will be forever with Christ, wherever he is. During the millennium, he's going to be here on earth. We're not going to be in heaven at that time. We're going to be here on earth with him. And part of you know, the whole mix of that is we're going to take part in ruling and reigning on this earth. Uh, you know, again, there's a whole lot involved in that, and I think there's, there's conditional things in all of that, but th that's true, okay, of believers. But also, also, he's made us priests. Priests in the old, well, I don't have the picture up there again, but the Old Testament tabernacle, temple, etc., only the priests could go into the temple. Only the priests had access. And even not all the priests had full access. Only the high priest had the, if you want to call it, the full access, and that was very limited itself, Right? And he couldn't go in there except with certain things. He had, to have, he had to have incense. In fact, you know, he took incense off that altar that was right in front of the veil, the altar of incense. He had to take incense off of that altar and, or fire from that altar and, incense, and put it in a censer, a portable thing that he carried. And I've been to a Catholic funeral. Well, I've been to several, but one of them, you know, they had priests. I guess they were priests walking down the aisle swinging these. It looks like a lantern thing, but it's, a, it's an incense uh, a censer. Uh, it's full of incense and burning, and it, and then that particular one, it, it smelled. I was way up in a balcony, and I could still smell it pretty good. But um, uh, anyway, get back on track here. But uh, the, the priest, he had, I mean, there were certain things he had to do when he went 
in to before he went into that veil, there was offerings that had to be made. He had to, he had to make an offering for his own sins beforehand. He had to go in with the blood, all right, of a goat. And, you know, he had to do certain things with that blood, sprinkle. I mean, there were all kinds of things, okay? So, but only he was, had some kind of access to that. Now, the Lord Jesus has included all his New Testament believers into his priesthood. Now, he is a priest after a different order. He's a priest, according to the book of Hebrews, after the order of Melchizedek, something completely different than Aaron and his sons. All right? Melchizedek's priesthood is a lot different, and again, we don't have time to get into all that right now, but the Lord Jesus has made New Testament believers kings and priests. All right? And so, and notice again, the seven spirits which are before, in, in verse Four of Revelation 1, I assume everybody's still there. Look at it, and where does it say that that spirit is shown? Where, where is he seen to be? It's before his throne, the his, again, probably referring to God the Father, the previous description, the one who is and was and is to come, okay? Or was and is and is to come. Um, Keep that in mind, and let's just do this. I'll have to forget my, some of my notes here for right now. We'll get back, if we got time, to another Old Testament passage. Go, go uh, let's just do this. Go to chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Now, in chapters 2 and 3, you're familiar, right? There's seven letters, really epistles, seven short New Testament epistles that are often forgotten about when people talk about epistles in the New Testament, but you have seven letters here. That are, that are intended for the Lord's churches, all right? And, and there's a lot of things in these and a lot of uh, reasons and applications of these as well as far as significance. But in every one of these letters, the introduction of it, Jesus introduces himself with certain qualities, certain characteristics. All those characteristics go back to chapter 1, either a description that's given of Jesus somehow or, well, I guess I shouldn't say all, there are a couple exceptions probably, but, but they generally go back to chapter 1, something that was said of Jesus in chapter 1, or something that's in that vision that John sees of Jesus, that glorified Lord Jesus that he sees in Revelation chapter 1 at all. Here in, in chapter 3, verse 1, this is a letter to the church at Sardis, right? It says, under the angel of the church at Sardis, write... These things saith he that hath, so Jesus is saying this about himself, he that hath the seven spirits of God. All right, again, remember back Isaiah chapter two, uh, 11, right, verse 2, and then what we saw here in chapter 1, seven spirits before God's throne, all right? Jesus is the only one with the complete you know, without measure, fullness of the Holy Spirit. Here it says he possesses him. He has him. The word has is, is, is past tense of have, have. I mean, it can have certain significances, but, but he possesses. He, the, he and the Holy Spirit are intertwined. <laughs> they're, they're God, all right? They are distinct, but yet they're the same. I mean, that, that's baffling, I understand, okay? It, baffling to me, all right? 
But then he says he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's from chapter one. He holds those in his hand. All right. He says, I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Only the, only the Lord could know that. All right. This is a description about that church. But again, just notice the description of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's just do this uh, for sake of time. Look over in chapter 4, chapter 4 of Revelation. If, in case I don't get to it and we don't say anything about it later, read Zechariah, the next to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 4. And you'll see more references to this, this whole thing with the sevenfold, the candlestick and the Spirit of God and so on. In that passage, we might not have time to get back there, so let me say it while I'm thinking about it right now. I was going to go there first before this, but let's just go to this. All right, Revelation chapter 4. Chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation, John is called up to heaven to be shown what's going to happen on the earth in chapter 6 and following. Okay, But before he's shown that, he describes what he sees in heaven. And it's interesting... Uh, well, let me just read it here. Verse 1, chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. This is John writing. John speaking, writing here. He says, And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. He already described a trumpet-like voice in chapter 1, which belonged to the Lord Jesus. All right? But he says, A trumpet as talking with me, which said... Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. That's, that's what gets... That, that doesn't start till chapter 6, okay? But Because now he's describing what he sees in heaven, all right? And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one... Let's find my place here. And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. All right. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Now, we're not left in the dark as to what those lamps are, which are the seven spirits of God. All right, now, for sake of time right now, let's just do this. All right, I mean, that's a, and I don't know, I don't know anybody that can fully describe what this looks like in heaven. I've, I've read descriptions and seen some pictures. Anybody ever heard of Clarence Larkin? He uh, wrote some books mostly on dispensations and prophecy and things of that, but he, was, he, he had all kinds of drawings and charts. And I mean, some, anyway, I, I don't know anybody can really fully appreciate this here, but this is, this is an, I mean, an, some kind of description here given. When John is caught up to heaven, immediately what gets his attention is what? A throne. First thing, For, and that, that makes sense when you think about it, all right? Now, in chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is shown in his brilliance and beauty, but that's not what John said he saw first. And, and, but, and I think that's on purpose. It's a, it's a miraculous display what God was showing him there. Uh, but here, he immediately sees the throne of God. 
in heaven. And it's, it's described here in some amazing ways, but among the description of him seeing the throne of God. Now, technically, you could say that's the throne of God as in the Godhead, the triune God, but specifically, that would be the throne of God the Father. Because at, if you keep reading chapters 4 and 5, this whole description, you'll see that there is a lamb that is at the right hand of the throne of God, all right? which, of course, obviously is the Lord Jesus. And then you also see this, he describes it as seven lamps burning. What does that remind you of in what we've just looked at? The candlestick of the tabernacle, right? But seven lamps burning, which are the seven spirits of God. Or, as we've seen from other, and I know we went through passages quick, but the Holy Spirit is described as the seven spirits of God. Think of it as sevenfold spirit of God, all right? Uh, that Jesus had completely, fully controlling him as a man here on this earth, all right? And he's, he's there before the throne. The candlestick, you remember the picture that we had up here, all right? When the priest went into the tabernacle, all right, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top of it. It was kind of one, in one way, one piece of furniture, but there were two distinct parts of it. There was the Ark, the box underneath, which contained three items at that time, and then the, the mercy seat on top of it, which depicted God's presence, the throne of God. All right, you remember in Isaiah's vision in chapter 6, he's shown a wonderful description or vision of a throne in heaven, and there he describes it as a throne in the temple of God. Right? And there he describes what most people would think of as the mercy seat with the cherubim, and, you know, God and, and the cherubim are, are continually, day and night, without end. All they do is they hide their faces, they hide their feet, and they have two wings that keep them afloat, I guess. And they are constantly saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In Revelation 4 and 5, you'll see the same thing. There are creatures described as being in heaven that their whole purpose is to proclaim and perhaps we could say guard if that's needed, but that, you know, they seem to be kind of like guards there, but they, they proclaim and guard the holiness of God in heaven. I mean, this is, this is amazing you know, stuff. But, but in that, again, you have the throne of God, which depicts God, the, you know, the triune God, but specifically in delineation, you have a God the Spirit as described as a light, a candle, a lamp burning, sevenfold lamp burning. You have God the Son seen as a distinct personality at the right hand of the throne of God. In Revelation 4, he's described as the Lamb, all right? When, when, in fact, in chapter 5 is where you see it. But you have, you have somebody saying, you know, who's going to open the book? And, and there was no one was found to be worthy, no man no creature in heaven was worthy to open that book, but then one of the angels touches it, and John begins to cry. One of the angels touches him and says, don't cry because the lamb is worthy. And then John sees the lamb step forth from the right and before the throne. And I mean, and notice then, as he describes that lamb, I got to get to that because time is up. 
Um, verse 6, I think it is. This is in chapter 5 as he sees the lamb who takes the, the book, the seven-sealed book. All right. Uh, in fact, let me begin at verse 5. Well, verse 4, it's describing what I just read. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. In this passage, he's described as both a lion and a lamb. That's quite a contradiction, right? It's an interesting thing because in chapter 6, the people of the earth, when they see him, they are afraid, they say there, I think it's verse 17 of chapter 6, they want to be protected from the wrath of the lamb. When you think of a lamb, you don't get afraid. I mean, but, so the Lord Jesus in his resemblance of a lamb is not your typical lamb, obviously, okay? But, uh Verse 6, if I didn't get that. In the midst of, uh, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as if it had been slain, having seven horns. Horns depict authority and power, all right? So he, he has all authority. And seven eyes. Again, this lamb is depicted as having seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So again, another description of the sevenfold spirit of God, but it's associated as being possessed and, and, and intertwined with who? With the Lord Jesus. He's the only one in the Bible that that's associated with. I mean, obviously God, you know, God, the triune God, but the Lord Jesus Christ specifically is the one that possesses the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold Holy Spirit, spirit of God. All right, and again, I, I, time's up, but... In, in Zechariah, look at that sometime. The book of Zechariah is an interesting book. Uh, Zechariah sees some very unusual things, some unusual visions, okay? And, and it's interesting. Uh, the, the way it goes, it almost is a conversation. God shows uh, Zechariah this vision, this, this dream, this picture of something. And then he says, do you know what that is? And Zechariah says, no, what is it? And then he goes into the description of it, all right? I mean, and in chapter 4, he sees something, a description of something in the temple, all right? And he sees a candlestick, all right? And then you'll see clearly, if you read all of chapter 4, the whole purpose of that is to, is to motivate Zerubbabel to go ahead and finish the temple. You remember that from previous Sunday school studies, right? God used Haggai and Zechariah to motivate the people to finish the work, right? Okay, in chapter 4, Zerubbabel is specifically named there as being the recipient of this motivation to finish the temple. And that's in, uh, I think it's verse 10 or 12 in that chapter is that phrase that lots of people refer to, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. But if you look at all that in its context, the spirit is associated with the golden candlestick that Zechariah sees. And what God is saying is, you're not going to do this by human might. You're not going to rebuild the temple by human might and power. It's going to be through the help of my spirit that you're going to get it done. That's, that's the whole point of that vision, that passage there to uh, Zechariah. Now, again, that's just vastly glossing over a whole lot of things. But again, I think you can... To me, anyway, I, I believe it's clearly to see that the, the candlestick is representative of the Holy Spirit. You've seen that way throughout 
uh, and again, more emphasis put in the, Old, in the New Testament of it, but the sevenfold Spirit of God and how he's associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the, in the, in the tabernacle setup, right, he was there before the mercy seat, before the veil, before the throne of God. In heaven, he's seen as having, he's part of God, but he's at, at the same time, he's seen as being a lamp before the throne of God, all right? Again, so some, some uh, pretty neat pictures, I think, uh, in, in all of this. Do I just unplug this? And it's good. Maybe as just a little practical thought here, and I'm overdue, but when we think of the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives, look at those descriptions in Isaiah, that sevenfold description, and really those are the things that the New Testament teaches us that He does in our lives. So, and every one of us, I mean, if you're saved, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's nothing you can do or undo or whatever to change that, okay? That's, that's, that's an act of God, but we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, which is something different, all right? And so when people think about being filled with the Spirit, think of it in light of those descriptions, and that's what's going to evidence the filling of the Spirit in our lives, all right? Those, those descriptions that are given there. Anyway, that's just... Uh, touching on it. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this, this picture that you've given us of yourself and how we can have a relationship with you and specifically of the Lord Jesus and, of course, then your Holy Spirit as he's involved in all of this as well. And uh, just help us to, to love you more as we ought. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.